We had case studies and examples from CBREs, um, Toronto and Vancouver offices, where their employee turnover rate fell by almost a third and the hiring rate doubled. Landsec uh, in London, they achieved Wealth Silver certification and their productivity rose by 30% in the first year. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth, exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Danny. Thanks for being here. Um, So just to get started, I'm actually kind of curious about your background prior to recording. You said you've been doing this for a while. Can you just give the listeners a little bit about, um, just a little info about your background? Totally. Um, I started my professional career actually as an ergonomist. Um, I worked in the healthcare setting and then in the financial industry. And when I told people where I work, they were like, do you mean economist? And I was like, no. Ergonomics is actually the study of how your body fits within your built environment and how to optimize the design of spaces and how to optimize the design of workflows to really promote human health and comfort. Um, And throughout the course of that phase of my career, I was realizing that so many people were thanking me for the advice that I was sharing and saying, where were you 30 years ago? Why couldn't you have told me this when I first got my job or when I first got to this office? And, you know, people will think about their environments in certain settings, right? When you get in your car, you adjust the mirrors, you adjust the seat, you make sure that you're comfortable there. But no one was actually doing that in the offices and at the desks where they spent a majority of their waking hours. Um, So I was really realizing that so much of the industry and so much of just our collective knowledge is really reactive and dealing with problems after they come up. Healthcare is mostly reactive. And it really got me thinking about if we could do something better, if we could educate at the forefront or if we could create spaces that were just health promoting to begin with, I could work myself out of a job. And so I I made the pivot uh, to working for the International Well Building Institute four years ago, actually. And it's been quite a thrill to just get to talk about health promoting places and collectively thinking about how to make spaces better and safer for people. Yeah, that's amazing. Before we get into the IWBI um, story, is there any low-hanging fruit that you saw a lot of people just easy mistakes that right off the bat they could they could change up their desk environment or is there any common things that some um, free ergonomic advice yeah, I'll have yeah. to bill you for that later. Um, you know, a couple of the things that always stick out in my mind are like those little feet on keyboards. Those should just all be eliminated. Right. If you're thinking about typing uphill, how often do you really like to walk uphill? Not it's obviously harder if you're typing up a hill. It's also much more challenging on your body. So you're trying to think about ways that you can be in a neutral position. That's less amount of work, getting rid of like 
the bumps on the mouse pads, getting rid of the feet on the keyboards, and just knowing that more often than not, your chair has far more adjustments than you're aware of. And just taking the time to read that manual and making sure that you're set up in a position where you would be comfortable for long periods of time. Nice. I like that. Okay. So neutral, get to neutral, neutral. whatever that is. <laughs> so getting into um, IWBI, um, just give us a little bit, you, you kind of touched on it's, it's about health and wellness. And, um, but can you give us the background of, of that and the mission and um, what's the, what are you guys up to over there? Oh man, what are we not up to <laughs> is the better question. Um, really, the, the mission of IWBI is to be the global forefront for putting human-centered decisions at the front of business and communities all around the world, right? So how can you create environments, whether that's somebody's individual workspace whether it's the gym they go to, whether it's the grocery store they go to, the church they go to, any type of space, how can you optimize the design of that space as well as the policies or the procedures and, that govern human behavior within that space to promote human health and well-being at the end of the day? Mm. So... Do you do you find that a lot of buildings, like if they're not designed for humans, what is what are they designed for? Like architecture, like just design and fashion and that sort of thing? Or why don't people well, just design for human experiences from the start? <laughs> Going back to my roots as an ergonomist, the the standard desk height in the US was actually derived from convenience. In the past, it was, let's just throw a tabletop over the top of these two drawer, like the standard two drawer filing cabinets, um, because people obviously need to access their equipment and have their workstation set up. And the height of that desk, it was about um, 29 and a half inches, if I'm remembering correctly, actually accommodates a six foot four body whether that's male or female. And I don't know about you, but I have not met many humans who are actually six foot four. So thinking about, you know, today, human-centered design, this is an entire industry. We're putting people first in design because that is best practice. You can do that in a variety of ways, whether you're trying to encourage more movement, whether you're just trying to get the furniture to fit, whether you're trying to introduce natural light. Personally, I moved during the pandemic and one of my main priorities in selecting a home was it needed to have an abundance of natural light. So if you can see behind me, like I've got tons of windows, I've got access to daylight coming out of New York City in smaller apartments where maybe you didn't have an abundance of natural light. It really starts to weigh on your mental health as well as your energy levels and your moods and your ability to digest food. All these things are interconnected. So I wouldn't necessarily say that people are designing buildings incorrectly. I would just say that the prioritization you know, we came into the scene well after the sustainability movement, which was really prioritizing designing buildings that put the health of the environment first. And we kind of came to say, yes, it should be about planetary health, but it should also be about 
people health. So where might you have to make trade-offs? Where might you make decisions that actually do benefit both people and planet? Um, and how can you go about codifying this best practice design into kind of translating that research into practice? That's, that's our sweet spot. Wow. So as, as far as um, people or buildings and organizations you work with, you, you no named quite a few. Do you have a specialty or is it really just kind of anybody that wants to improve their their space for people? Um, I guess talk a little bit about yeah, the, the clients that you work with. Yeah. So the um, the adoption curve is on that rocket ship right now. We are growing at about 5 million square feet of new projects per day, and this is globally. So the International Well, well Building Institute is international. We've got projects in 109 countries, I believe. Um, Holy cow. Yeah, so 109 countries. And when I started four years ago, we were really in the business of explaining the importance of healthy buildings. And over the past four years, that narrative has actually shifted pretty dramatically. Um, living through the past two years, I think everybody fundamentally understands the importance of air quality in space, the importance of ventilation, all of these um, previously maybe invisible features are now becoming much more visible and people are becoming much more fluent in understanding their importance. So to give you a few examples of, of project types, I actually lead our global business development team in terms of non-commercial office sectors. So we work with a lot of schools, a lot of healthcare organizations, um, governments who are applying well strategies at the entire municipal scale. I work with, um, airports with hospitality chains with restaurants and hotels and um convention centers and sports venues like literally any building type you name it we can do it um when it comes to the corporate side of the equation we actually are working with 20 percent of the world's fortune 500s right now and a majority of them are actually tackling the program at scale so they're not just picking one building to certify anymore, mm -hmm. but they're actually using the framework that is well and saying, how can we consistently apply these strategies across a broader scope of the buildings within our control or the buildings within our portfolio? And how can we just kind of collectively raise the bar and move the needle? Because just like you can't go to the gym one day lift a few weights and turn into a bodybuilder you can't just do one thing and then immediately have a healthy building you kind of need to take this as an entire lifestyle and as an approach and realize that the journey is just as important as the destination and there are decisions that can be made at all phases of design and construction and then maintenance and operation once the building is in existence and this program equally applies to new construction as well as existing buildings. It's really, it used to be that we couldn't touch single family homes. And just this year we stood up an advisory and we're coming up with a solution for single family homes. Mm -hmm. um, so as our founders would say, if there's four walls and a roof and a front door, 
there's probably some benefit that we can provide for that space. That's incredible. Um, I guess I didn't realize the scale at which you guys are working at. That's, uh, that's pretty, uh, that's amazing. It's awesome. It is. Yeah. It's really crazy to see, you know, it's, I don't have to explain the importance of air quality anymore. Now I just have yeah. to explain the process of hitting these various different milestones and participating in the different well programs. So as, as far as the different well programs, maybe you could touch on um, what, what a roadmap is. Say somebody wants to enroll. Um, are there certain like, I'm thinking almost like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of like, you know, the, the basic foundational needs. And then as you kind of go through the program, you get to start elevating. Like what, what are the fundamentals that everybody should be looking at right off the bat? Totally. Um, that is such a great question. And it really lends itself way, well to the way that we're organizing our offerings. Um, so the highest and best and most meaningful way to engage with IWBI right now is in a program called Well at Scale. It's a rebrand of what used to be known as our Well Portfolio Program. But essentially what that program does is it looks at the well building standard, which is like an encyclopedia of evidence-based strategies that either have to do with building design, building operations, or maintenance. You take those strategies and then you identify what is the organization's goal? Why are they why are they participating in well? Why are they starting this journey? Are they trying to win the war on talent and attract and retain the best talent? Are they trying to reduce stress or burnout? Are they trying to um, you know, return to business with confidence? Are they trying to get people to go from previously working remotely to now coming back into their corporate office spaces? Are they trying to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion and just create a baseline culture of health across their organization that might be a little bit more policy-driven and potentially less to do with the actual physical environment? Once you identify what those goals are, you take that framework that is the well-building standard, apply it at scale so that you're bringing everybody along for the journey. And you determine what are the what are the milestones that we'd like to achieve along this journey. And over the course of the pandemic, we um, we kind of subdivided that well building standard into more manageable bite sized chunks. So we introduced the well health safety rating, which now is being adopted in over 2 billion square feet worldwide. And the health safety rating says, yeah, someday you might want to go big and do a totally holistically healthy building that's looking at all the right things. But today, you probably want to focus on things like air and water quality, uh, promotion of um, hygiene, right? Like how to clean and sanitize spaces. You probably want to focus on transparency and communication with all of your stakeholders and building users about the types of interventions that you've implemented to make that space healthy and safe to return to. And those are the features that you should start with if you're really trying to get people to come back to the building with confidence. Mm. Or just last month, um, we introduced the well performance rating. The well performance rating is looking at, we've been monitoring 
um, smart buildings and high-performing buildings for ages, but we've not yet made the link between a healthy, high-performing building and a healthy, high-performing employee and talking about how if you're both monitoring the space and you're monitoring productivity and you're checking in by using real-time data and sensors and surveys of your employees, how you can create the most optimal environment for that human occupant. So that drills down into those types of features. Mm-hmm. Later on this year, we're introducing the health equity rating. And that's going to be a program that's looking at all of those types of policy interventions, as well as building design that's going to look at things like accessibility, universal design, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, like you name it, anything that rolls up into one of those types of policies would be captured in a rating like that. So by applying well at scale and knowing at the onset of the process what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve by implementing well, we can then guide you to say, pursue this rating, pursue certification at these locations, pursue a well score here, try to achieve these different um, like delineated milestones to accomplish the goals that you're setting out to accomplish. I, um, you know, at FCP, we've been talking a lot about high performance. And so I'm curious if there's any patterns that you've picked up from this new program, the high performance program you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the consequences or outcomes that companies or organizations have noticed since, and maybe it's too early to tell, but is there anything... Yeah, I would say that it's a little bit early to tell for the well performance rating, but one of the key differentiators about well in general is that it's performance verified. So in the pursuit of certification, right, you're designing to a set of strategies and you're submitting documentation and you're submitting, you know, compliance with with the actual standard. You're also submitting testing results. So somebody comes in and actually tests that the air is clean enough, that the water is clean enough, that the light levels are appropriate and balanced to your circadian rhythm if you're pursuing those types Mm -hmm. of features. They're testing the temperature of the space, the acoustical performance of the space, all of these measures that you can actually use data to say, yep, you hit the, you hit the mark here or no, you didn't. And maybe it's time, maybe there's, a problem, right? Like if you don't test air quality, you can't necessarily see it within the built environment. You don't know when it's off unless you measure for that. Same is true for water. Sometimes you can see it. You Then you really know you've got a problem on your hands. Um, but I would say that by the very nature of being a performance verified or a third party reviewed when you're meeting these ratings, that's holding all of our projects to a higher standard and making sure that when you're really comparing these spaces, you know, okay, they they have met rigorous performance thresholds in these categories. And I feel confident about going into that space. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense is, uh, yeah, testing and, um, 
And it just gets me thinking about how you mentioned the, the lights and the circadian rhythms. And I've been in so many office buildings where it's just like, it's just like fluorescent light bulbs. And it's just, I think that's part of why people were so, um, this part of the silver lining from the whole pandemic experience was they got to, they got to do work in their home environment, which was something that they um, control. curated themselves and, and controlled themselves. And obviously you're going to live in an environment that you find pleasant. Um, yeah. and, and maybe that is part of the solution to, because I think there's value in people congregating at an office space. And, um, and I, I think sometimes the work from home gets over, uh, I don't know, glorified isn't the right word, but I don't know, it, a little bit too um, hyped up and, um, I'm just curious what you think about moving forward. It, will this well program um, or all the all the different programs that you're doing, do you think that'll be a driver to help bring people back to the office? Oh, totally. Um, I think it always shocked me going to like going straight from grad school into my first job. My first job, I worked um, as an ergonomist, as I mentioned, and the aesthetic of the office was white. Everything was white. The desks were white. The keyboards were white. The photo above my desk was a massive polar bear, which is white. And I was like, this is so boring. Like there's nothing to look at, right? Like there's nothing that's visually interesting. I was in New York City. I was expected to be at the office at 8 a.m. and I stayed until 5 or 6 p.m. And, you know, I had to ask permission to leave for lunch. And it's like, how did I just go from an environment where I picked my classes, I picked the hours that I worked, I just def wrote and defended a thesis, which is way more work than many people do in their like nine to five jobs. Like I have just demonstrated that I'm capable of managing my own time and my own schedule, but because you're paying me and you want to see me in this seat from eight to five, this is my new life. And it felt like prison. I was just like, yeah. this cannot be, you're not getting my best work. Sometimes my best ideas come after dinner. Sometimes my best ideas come while I'm on a run. And so I think the flexibility that's been introduced over the past two years has been great. If you hire people that you trust, they you set expectations based on their outputs and based on their performance. And then you give them the tools that they need to be successful. And you create environments that are going to encourage collaboration and that are going to excite people so many people are stoked not to have a commute anymore. Like think about the impacts to the environment, how great it was in cities that had never seen mountain ranges in India to finally be able to clear out all the pollution and be like, oh, this is the world that we're living in. Isn't it beautiful? Like, let's rethink our behaviors and only go places when we need to go places. Mm -hmm. Um I think it requires a lot of trust. It requires a lot of autonomy and um, really to be successful, it requires companies to base performance on specific outputs, right? Because a lot of the time you can't qualify knowledge work, 
right? Like if I'm thinking and I'm standing up versus I'm thinking and I'm sitting or I'm thinking on a walk, it's all helping, right? The process, the design process, the outputs, the deliverables, but um, just breaking away from that traditional butts in seats equals productivity, mm-hmm. I think is going to be, that's my favorite silver lining. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's like, yeah, it's not about the quantity. It's just, it's all about the quality, the quality. and sometimes. Yeah. Um, what's the pushback that you get from like, why would anybody not implement these programs and, um, and start working towards creating healthier workspaces or just, um, living or, you know, spaces outside all types of spaces. I know you're not in the office specifically, (laughs) but like, so I want to include, you know, arenas, churches, but like, what's the pushback that you get from, uh, anybody? Is it, is it expensive to enroll in? Um, it's really not, um, it's really not expensive. Um, I think, over the time that I've been with the International Well Building Institute, the main pushback up until this point has been that people were feel fearful to test for things that were previously invisible, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to test the air quality. I don't want to test the water quality. I don't, I don't have either the the skill set or the knowledge and the unknown is scary. And what am I going to do if I get bad results? Like what what am I going to do if I find out that the water is bad? How am I going to tackle these problems? And now what we're seeing because of the prevalence of the the prevalence and ubiquitousness of these testing devices is that people are showing up to spaces and they're testing them themselves and saying, Hey, guess what? Like I moved to Denver, Colorado, one of the healthiest cities. There was an entire week last year where you shouldn't have gone outside because the air quality due to the forest fires was so much worse than any other city in the entire world for a whole entire week. And I had my air filter in my house running full blast. It was constantly in the red. I didn't open my windows. And it's like so many people are becoming empowered with access to this data that people who were using that as an excuse not to pursue well, that excuse is becoming eliminated. So now it's really, it's less of, are you going to do it or not? It's more of where are you going to begin? The entire well standard, along with every single one of its citations, is in the public domain. It's on wellcertified.com. You can see the standard. You can read the research that makes up all the uh, underpinnings of those feature requirements. We've created research digests that take that research and put it into layman's terms so that anybody can pick it up and understand, oh, that's why this is important. Mm. There are strategies on how to implement it. Really, I think there's there's no reason not to involve at least a few strategies in any new construction and any renovation. Or as you're thinking about the things that you're buying for your own homes, pick healthier furnishings, right? Know that 
furniture off gases and that new car smell when you buy a new car and then you get a headache, right? Like all of these things are linked. So the more we can make informed decisions about how spaces are impacting our bodies, uh, the better off everyone will be. Yeah. What, what gets you most excited about the work that you're doing and thinking ahead to the, whether, you know, one year, three years or five, like what, what, uh, what are you most excited about? Obviously I drank the Kool-Aid and I totally love all of this. Um, I'm really excited just to see what, where this goes, right? I think by, by breaking down the programs into ratings and making them more manageable chunks and giving these huge organizations a clear roadmap on like, here's where to get started. And someday way down the line, you could get all of your buildings rated and certified at the platinum level. And wouldn't that be great? But that's down the line. Let's just start with step one. And what I'm really excited about is seeing how this is being applied for people across all socioeconomic statuses, across all walks of life. We've got tons of schools who really took hold of the well health safety rating. And they applied these features and these strategies across their entire school district. We also have tons of senior living communities applying the well health safety rating, as well as affordable housing communities. So this is no longer just a nice to have or a best in class design that you would expect to see in a class A office building, but it's something that you can expect to see in your gym, in your child's school, in your church, in your grocery store. Like it's just becoming so much more ubiquitous because it's becoming so much more, uh, so much better understood. Mm. I'm curious if there's any um, success stories that come to mind that would make this more tangible. Um, I like, Anything specific that you've experienced or somebody on the team that's experienced is like they instituted some of your well programs and um, I don't know, it, 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 I know it had an impact, but like anything, anything come to mind? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. No, that's awesome. Um, we actually have quite an extensive library of case studies that we'll talk about that return on investment. And some, mm. um, just off the top of my head, I'm pulling up right here. So ASID, the American Society of Interior Designers, did a really intensive pre and post occupancy survey. They have tons of great data that came out. One of my favorite factoids from their pursuit of well, and by the way, they achieved well platinum as well as lead platinum lead for the environment, nice. well, for the people, people and planet both work great. Um, they had employee absenteeism that dropped by 19% in just one year. Wow. Um, we had case studies and examples from CBRE's um, Toronto and Vancouver offices where their employee turnover rate fell by almost a third and the hiring rate doubled. Um, and then Landsec uh, in London, they achieved well silver certification and their productivity rose by 30% in the first year. And I know that a lot of these things are hard to measure and hard to quantify, especially in the knowledge worker economy. 
But I would encourage anybody who's interested in more details on any of the return on investment to visit our website, wellcertified.com, go to our investing for health platform and download all of these case studies. We've got all of the data front and center. We've introduced um, new frameworks and tools and thought leadership pieces like the 12 competencies for measuring and evaluating human health and performance and human capital management. We've got um, a, a Deloitte white paper that talked about productivity gains and ROI examples in well projects all over the world. It's just data is power, data and knowledge is power. So I would say get access to it um, and take it back to your own organization and see what you're doing specifically to address human health, mental health, social cohesion, all of these things are really important issues and we've got solutions in place to help you tackle them. Oh, that's amazing. That sounds like a great place for anybody interested to start to go go to the website. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that I haven't asked that you want to touch on? Um, I would just say, so we spent quite a bit of time today talking about, you know, the well ratings and the, the framework of well at scale and the pursuit of certification. One of the things that I'm really proud of our organization for addressing is we are a public benefit corporation. And so we put a lot of good things out into the world completely for free. Um, so one of the projects that I was excited to be affiliated with last year was the state of our schools report, which just talks about, um, you know, the severe lack of funding for schools throughout the U.S. from an infrastructure spend, right? And starting to lobby with policymakers to get more funding <clears throat> to create healthier environments. We also um, published the IWBI special report, which really dives into detail across all of these various different sectors and markets all over the world, um, how they can respond to the pandemic and how they can essentially take this moment, turn it into a silver lining and improve upon um, best practices or, or standard design that was more customary in those spaces. So keep an eye on us. We're constantly putting out tools and resources for all different sectors in all different corners of the world. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. That's, a, that's amazing. Angie, I love how passionate you are about this. It's just, uh, it's refreshing and um, it's something that I think could, yeah, everybody could benefit from. So thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for coming on the show. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.